Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Triple H and the Stay in the Loop with Lucy Studios. If you haven't joined us for this show before, it's a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their experiences, their choices and consequences, and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. By discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can then choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our communities and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Now, this week's show on the Stay in the Loop with Lucy is a story about the intergenerational consequences of war. Does war end when the soldiers come home? or when the last bullet is fired? Or is there a deeper intergenerational effect, perhaps even affecting our epigenetics? We have to consider this because there have been so few days without war somewhere in the world since the supposed last world war ended. These wars now come into our homes through the extraordinary reporting of journalists who make it their job to share man's inhumanity to man on a daily basis, hoping, I suspect, that we will come to see the futility of war. Pain, after all, is universal, regardless of the man-made separation of colour, race, creed or gender. This week's show is an interview with Elkin Spiller, the producer of a touching, witty and haunting documentary with his cousin Haim. Now, I hope that I will continue to pronounce that correctly. Both men were born in Germany to Polish and Romanian parents who had survived the concentration camps. Haim and Elkin are aware their parents offered them the best childhood they could, but there is no doubt it had been affected by what their parents had experienced. They had memories they couldn't shake. It wasn't a fearless childhood full of laughter. How could it be? Well, you know, I'll actually leave that and, and let Elkin tell you about his childhood in the interview rather than me reinterpret it for you. Now, each se- I, I often say at the end of each episode, don't wait for life to come to you, but take yourself to life. And interestingly, when I looked at the subtitle of Elkin's film... Life is not about surviving, it's about living. And I would love us through this show to consider that today. Do we survive after what we experience or through life in our day-to-day? Or is there another level that we can bring to how we're living that doesn't define us by what has um, or is happening to us? This documentary is a reflective piece focusing on Heim Lebeski's life his wild past as a hippie in Germany, London and Paris with questionable jobs, his work ethic in New York that actually meant he could change his career and become a chess player in Saint-Tropez. Haim is a, is a vibrant character. You, you couldn't make him up. His commitment and dedication to caring for his mother, Nishuma, round the clock, his altruistic love and mission to ease his mother's pain both physically and emotionally and this isn't a story about victims it isn't a story actually about anything other than than a man who has dedicated this part of his life to looking after his mum 
It's a story of the change we can bring to this world when we make it about love with a fair dose of humour. So let me introduce Elkan to you, the director and producer of the Chaim to Life, and I will let him introduce the movie. The movie is actually um, also my personal story. It's I'm a son of Holocaust survivors, and my cousin is, uh, is his mother is the sister of my father, and she was also in um, concentration camps. His father also and um, I wanted to show how much the war lives on in our generation and to bring that awareness and but actually it's not really true when I started making the movie I just thought um, I because my cousin is a very exceptional uh, guy very um, he has his own way and what I love about it that he doesn't care about um, how he looks uh, and all this money and uh, he, he was very wealthy and but he, he didn't he never cared about uh, all this what all the societies running for money and recognition fame and look and I like that he could just be himself and so my first title was a real man a real uh, a real mensch because he was helping um, a lot of people uh, and at the end, uh, he moved in with his mother in the elderly home after his father died and his sister. And he was just giving all his life. And that was fascinating. That fascinated me all my, um, all my life that I know him. And so I started making, wanted to show this special character um, of him helping people, giving himself and without wanting to get any recognition for it. And then when we started, actually, I asked him, do you, do you have anything to do with the Holocaust? He said, no, nothing, I'm fine. And I never talked about it. But it became very quick clear that um, the, the Holocaust was a very central topic in his life and in my life because we were born in Germany after the war and two parents who survived the camps and who were not even Germans, they were Polish and my mother is from Romania and they came, they were released and, and then they had to be in Germany because in Poland they were still and uh, they were still killing Jews after the war when they came back and so that's why uh, it became very uh, short, very quick, we, we understood both. This is also a film about the Holocaust and how much it affected us. And it's um, very clear shown how um, how we basically feel responsible for our parents and, and, and care for them. And, and, and that, that this whole suffering is always a big, like a big cloud on us, you know. The nice thing about my cousin, he's not heavy, he's not uh, mental, he's just very funny, he smokes pot all day and uh, did very extraordinary things. So it, there's a lot of lightness in the film too at the same time. And then I thought this is a perfect uh, way to transport the message without the normal Holocaust films, you know, that very heavy, it's, be, it's being a victim and suffering. And I also understood in my own working on myself on this topic, um, 
together uh, with Serge Benhain, who's um, also and also healer, and and I really understood working on my stuff. It's not about um, self blaming, not about victim, not about Germans. It's about um, understanding to okay where we come from, and then move, moving on with it. You know. So, so I'm not blaming anybody in the movie. I'm not attacking, and it's, I'm just presenting what it is, and um, just to bring awareness. And I think it's important to know what war does to the next generation. And in, and actually, it's not a Holocaust movie. It's actually a film, a portrait of a very special mensch. You know, mensch is a term in Yiddish, and it's called human being, but they use it in America also for saying he's a very integral, very correct, very a good person, you know. So it's a mensch. And um, so it's a very special person who is affected by the Holocaust. But actually, it's a film about every war. It's a film about what war does to people. And just in this exam, in this film, it's the Holocaust is just an example. And, but it's actually universal. You can say every war affects the next generation. And not only the victims, also the children of the perpetrators. That is really beautifully illustrated when James says, the love my parents gave me was um, was tied up with blood and sadness from their parents. Right. So, you know, it goes from one generation to the other. And it's, I mean, it's one thing to understand that. And on the other thing, it's also like, I use a quote from Serge Benhain at the end of my film, and it says, the war is not over when the last bullet is fired, the war is over when we return into our heart. Which means for me, it's it's really about um, open, of course, war, trauma, violence, and um, all that affects your being, and you shut down. I mean, there are many ways to react on I mean, some people, uh, um, as they say, trauma, you can react with freeze, fight or flight. And some people become very tough, some people are broken and whatever. So it's it's basically your heart closes and it's time to op- that we open our heart again, you know, for for other people, for what happened for our, to, to ourselves and to not be in, in that hardness and come and basically come back to, to love, you know, to love people what we are, that's what we are original from, you know, and even even the mother of Chaim, she, on the one hand, she blames the Germans for what they did to their parents, but you can see living so many years in Germany, she doesn't hate really the Germans and Chaim not too, there's no hate, it's not possible to hate, you know, and um, so that it's it's just a pain which is which and a hurt, but it's not really. Um, and that's the that's the understanding that we, as you say, yeah, we, we take it over from our, one generation to the other. The blood is, uh, and uh, it's in the blood, and now that it's even scientific, they say now it's called epigenetic. You you know you know just need to live with traumatized people, and it gets to you. This, uh, this behavior and a pattern and, and, and you, you start feeling the same anxiety and worry and you run around like uh, always paranoid and it's even worse, you know, when you've been to a concentration camp, you know why you're crazy, but as a second generation, 
you 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 also like this, but you haven't really experienced it. Only being with parents. I mean, you can also be crazy with normal parents, not only with uh, Holocaust survivors. But what what shows is, and for example, I have this woman who wrote books about the children of soldiers and Nazis, and I have she was coming to my premiere. And she said that um, a lot of parents who um, raised their children who's, who have been soldiers in Wehrmacht or Nazis, there was a lot of, even the next generation, they, they, that's very cold. They are very cold in their home. Mm. In the education, there wasn't a lot of love, you know. And I had, I had a guy who made an interview with, uh, with me for about a film for a television, for a cultural magazine. And um, after the shooting, he told me, yeah, you know, my mother, she's over 90, and she always says she didn't know about anything, you know, about the Nazis. And, and, and he knows it's not true. How can she say that? Say, say it's, she didn't know about anything. And he's right. They should know. I know they should know. My uncle, he had to move. Um, he was in Auschwitz, and he, but before he was in concentration camp and sometimes the concentration camp inmates they had to uh, carry heavy metal through the city and everybody was watching to make sure they knew but I told him listen it's very um, um, uh, how do you see le legitimate uh, uh, it, it's one way to deal with um, and to cope with all that uh, war and what happened to deny it and that's one way to deny, but the, the only way to deny is if you shut your heart. You just close down, that's how you deny. You don't know anything anymore, you don't remember, you pretend, uh, you just become numb, you know. The only side effect for you, which is you have a mother who closed her heart, is that you were, you were not raised with the love you actually needed from your mother. And then he said, oh, wow, that's exactly what I'm dealing in my therapy, how do you know? And But you see what I'm saying is, there's a guy, he's over 60, he's suffering from a war that ended 70 years ago mm. from, from a lack of love in his education, in his uh, upbringing from his mother due to a war which ended 70 years ago, you know, and, and he was not even a son of perpetrators or a concentration camp uh, inmate, just a bystander, you know, so that shows how much war does to people. And they are they're understanding it so much in the brain and how the brain wires. I think it's exactly as you say, where it shuts down a part that you can't bear what you can see. So it, there's, a, there's the original trauma and then there's the post-traumatic stress and the vicarious trauma of hearing what's, what happened, but also the knowing in your heart that what was happening was so wrong, but someone you that's loved it. did that. Well, that's in the case of his mother, that she, she, she didn't do any harm physically, but she knew just being there, she feels ashamed. She knows it was wrong and mm. she was part of it. She chose to be part of it and not to do anything about it, you know, and to let it happen or, I mean, of course, it's, there was a lot of fear and still, she was part of this bigger, uh, I would say, I don't know, consciousness that that's what came to, uh, to Germany.
It must have been, you know, bringing some understanding to it, it must have been very difficult to know how to stand for what, for love in the face of such violence that, you know, if you stood up and stood out, you were, you know, you were gone and you were dead and therefore you couldn't actually affect any change. So it's, I'm sure that the, the dilemmas of the, the people in that time was how to, uh, live with integrity um, and actually make a difference when any difference you made could could easily have ended your life. Yeah, but this is understandable if, if there's a terror regime and that you're afraid. But on the other hand, there were opportunities to hide. I know it. You could hide if you you could have the courage to hide a Jew. You could yes. do something. You could some food you could you could everybody can make a difference in its own little environment and and especially after the war she could be honest and say yeah sorry I, uh, instead of denying it and still pretending everything was okay and uh, i was okay and I, I just didn't know i didn't i didn't know about it you know instead of admitting okay i'm taking responsibility this is the same you know, to take responsibility it's important nobody wants to say you have to be guilty as a german mm. but take responsibility Mm. And that's the whole sorry thing, isn't it? That that people who've been on the receiving end of this, it's so important that they hear people take responsibility and not just blame someone else or say it was out of their control. Right. And and just just and acknowledging also, that it happened makes it at least real. Yeah, and it would be a healing to the victims. It would be a healing. It would be if you, if you stand as a Jew across someone and nice it, you can't. It's very hard for to open up, you know, because you know it's not true, and then yes, you don't have a someone to talk to. And also, and then just to admit, yes, I see you. Yes, we did it. And then I always say, if a Nazi comes to me and says, "Hey, you bloody Jew," and then and first curse me, and but says at the same time, "Hey, but I I want to talk to you. I want to know what is true about what I'm saying and what I, I was raised like this. They told me Jews are horrible, and uh, so but I want to really sit down and uh, then and talk to you. And you know what? Then he's my friend mm. because." Um, honest he he says basically he's brainwashed or he wants at least talk about it and then there's someone to talk but he's not just if someone just comes to put all his um, anger on me or his frustration or his hate and just curses me with names and then moves on then 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 i then i don't have anybody to talk to but even nazi as as much as he hates me on the same time is willing to talk and to look and which also means he might change you know his view or open up or feel and think oh that's what Heim says you know if one nazi uh, or anti-Semitist the movie by because he might identify with him because he's not this typical victim Jew and religious. He's a free, very bright chess genius, and so there are a lot of. It's like a very cool guy, you know. So if someone because of his personality feels drawn to him and sees the movie and likes him and changes his attitude about anti-Semitism, hate basically or basically opens his heart again, then, and only one, then the whole film was worth it to do it, he says. Look, I was, in 1992, I wrote my uh, thesis on university, actually was, I studied uh, in the University of the Arts 
uh, it was kind of uh, advertising and film for advertising. But I made uh, my thesis about anti-Semitism in German television. And I took a Jew who wrote a book, and, and as I always said, he really kicked the Germans in the balls <laughs> with words, you know. And I made like 100 pages and arguments, and I knocked them all down. But at the end, I wrote, I said, you know what, I feel it can't be like this. And, and I added a chapter, which is not very uh, scientific. You don't do that in the thesis. And I wrote everything I wrote, nice, it gave me a release, and it's it's actually true, but at the same time, it doesn't lead to anything because if if you just blame and attack people and hate, then then people will close even more. That that what I was writing in this chapter, mm. you know. And actually, the only way is, as you say, is we can't naturally. It's not in our being to be like this, you know. Because that's why I felt it. I said it. Even though it was nice and and I got a A for the whole thing, <laughs> but. Uh, a 10 or I don't know where in Germany it is that one but it's it's I've wrote it at the end it's actually not the right way because it's more like um, that we should open up and and even then I said it won't open up their heart and then they even close down even more because you know when you tell someone something in, in a very aggressive way and um, then then they they shut down even more, you know, or or just telling them, blaming them, you know. It's, it's it's more opening up, and it's hard, you know. It's hard if you've been in a, if you for people who've been in a concentration camp to say, oh yeah, I'm opening up and come in, and that's why, is in Israel. I lived in Israel, and and I I can see um, how much, and even me personally, how how much I, it's. It's easier to hold on to your walls and your hurts and, and, and get armed to really let down and become vulnerable. You know? and, and yeah, but one one has to start with it. And that, that was that was what I tried with my film, you know. And it was a process and really a big a long process to I I mean it took seven years. Normally at the beginning I was about also to attack and to blame, and then it was a process to let go all of this, you know, and just open up and make a film that opens up the heart and not close down, you know, and also to 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 present you no know, blaming, and you don't see a picture of concentration camp, and actually the mother of Han is singing about it, and to see that there's also joy possible and and, and and no hate, and it's just showing, look what war does, but we can get out of it by opening our heart again. That was something that I took from the movie, was just how positive and um, uplifting it was, and yet it also called me to deeply reflect on the uh, intergenerational consequences of war. There was so much humor in it that I kept going, oh, that's... Um, I would have thought, you know, an example was the haircut when um, she had... when uh, the mother shared that she'd had her haircut her head shaved and he goes hey you know nowadays that's trendy and she just guffaws with laughter this this deep suited this deep seated laughter that just takes away the any form of um shame about what happened and uh, anger and guilt and resentment it just wasn't in her body it was 
such a gift for you to share with us, for them to share with you and for you to share with us as viewers. Yeah, it's also showing, I mean, every, every little scene, I really, there's no coincidence. I mean, it's like also showing how ridiculous, ridiculous the whole thing is, you know, shaving heads in a concentration camp, you know, and now they shave it, uh, people think it's fashion today. So it's, but of course they had a, the Nazis wanted to humiliate people and to make them weak with it. And uh, so, but on the same time, it shows how Haim, his, how tries to get his mother out of the suffering, you know. That's that what he said to me. He said, they suffered so much. My job is to, to bring them a little bit light, a little bit joy in this lifetime, in their last years, you know. Yes, I feel he showed her love, what love is. Yeah, I mean, this film is basically altruistic love, you know. It's really yeah. love what he gives uh, and also care, care for people, yeah. not just caring myself. It's really, and he, he, he didn't only do it with his parents. He, before he was taking care of his father, but when, even when I was young, he would go to mostly Jewish people who have been suffering concentration camps. He organized uh, uh, even transferring there. If somebody died, the body to Israel, making a, the whole thing on the cemetery and paying everything. Or he would go with me and drive 20 kilometers from Munich and bring to a retarded Jewish woman some money and uh, water, and she was so happy. And nobody knew about these things. You know, it was always trying to help where people need help. And, and, and lifting people up, and not only Jews, also everywhere we go. So, and I think that that shows, despite everything that happened and with all the suffering, you can still stay love. You still you can still give, and you still can still have uh, joy. Um, Heim earned his money by um, winning chess competitions, didn't he? The most of the money he made with um, exporting Levi's 501 to Europe. Uh, he made me, he made two million dollars or so, but in, in a very funny way too. I mean, the thing is, I could make uh, uh, I have 200 hours material, I use so one and a half hours, and everything is a film for itself. I mean, because I work with him, I lived in New York, and I knew know how he did it. But um, the chess, he, he, he uh, also he played chess for money, and uh, in Santo mostly where he spent his summer. Because in the 60s, he didn't have any money, was just sleeping at the beach, and he loved the place, and it was very humble at that time, and now it's a fancy place. But though he has his chess players, he still goes now there, and uh, yeah, but 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 the most money he made was um, also in the beginning, um, very, very beginning, he made money with um, selling hashish in the Williamsburg. His parents, they suffered so much, his father wasn't able, he was sick from the concentration camp. He has only a quarter of a stomach and always in pain and a morphium all the time. So one thing, he read all the medical books to help his father, so he, he could be a doctor. He stands in the hospital and tells the doctors what to do. I mean, a hippie uh, with a long beard telling them. <laughs> but in really, uh, terminology in Latin and all the, uh, it's amazing. He's a brilliant, he's a genius. Yeah, he speaks also like eight, nine languages. But then, um, so that was, uh, but, but 
he needed to make money to support the parents. And he's not a guy who can work from nine to five in an office. So what can you do? And so he started, uh, but only to American soldiers. That's, that's how he cares about people. He would never sell to, to students in school. Or So he said, sold money. It was, he, he was born in 47 in, in Regensburg, Bavaria. There were still the, Ameri the American soldiers. He sounds to me like he he did what exactly what was needed, and he learned exactly what was needed to be able to deliver what was needed. You know, he just sounds like the most incredibly practical man. Right. Yeah. He, he would live in Europe, but he would always come in between for six weeks, being with the parents and taking care of them. And but that shows how much. I mean, this is a genius. He, he could do big things, but because of the war, he reduced it to his parents and. I mean, he helped a lot of people in the community and here and there, but he could, if he wouldn't have that trauma and that background, and he, he could really be uh, in service with all his skills to, to more people. And it also showed how much the war uh, actually prevents people, uh, potential, you know, or destroys potential. What is he doing now? Well, he um, says when his mother died, okay, I'm not interested in money and fame and all these things. So my parents helping them was my, my biggest goal. And he doesn't have children. He always says my parents were my children. So he, he, he kind of uh, gave up and said, I'm finished. I've done my thing. And now he, he still smokes. And sometimes he goes to Central Pay, plays chess. And goes to synagogue, and but the funny thing, he's not the depressed guy. He still, when he's in Antwerp, he lives in Antwerp. He still, and because he wants to go to the cemetery and uh, um, where his parents are, and he's still the one who, if he meets people on the street, that he lifts them up. He, if he if he knows somebody doesn't feel good, he goes and uh, brings some, make some jokes, and just to 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 bring them joy and. To, get them out of there. So he can't really change his job of helping people, mm. but he's not doesn't have any project now anymore. He just sits and waits and <laughs> plays chess. He says he waits till the desk comes. Well, at the beginning, he's, if, you, if you've seen him in the movie, you know he doesn't have a lot of patience. So it took one year to make him see the whole movie. Mm -hmm. and, but he said, yeah, it's okay. I like the guy. Um, it's it's okay, you know. <laughs> There's some scenes he he would say, yeah, at the beginning, and I mean, the thing is, I didn't want to start right away with the Holocaust, so I showed him how he goes and looks to buy hashish, you know, and he wanted to go quicker to his mother directly. Yes. And so he has his critics, but I wanted to show, say, hey, it's a guy, he's on his own feet. It's not a, this is the thing, it's not a mama boy, you know, it's not someone who doesn't know what to do with his life, you know, and then big deal is with his mother. But he gave everything up and moved into the elderly home. And I, I can assure you that uh, there are not many people in the world who are able to do that, to live three years, 24 hours with your mother in, a one, in a one bedroom. No. And, and without, uh, and I mean, even other people who don't have trauma, I think they would go nuts. But that, but if it's an it's an attitude. If you really say I'm I'm giving, I'm opening up, and it's I'm, it's about love and giving, then you are able to do that. And he would still do on the phone his jobs, his um, his deals with the, with the stock exchange. Unfortunately, he lost a lot of money, but. Um, 
he, he that's what he decided for. He chooses for for service and and, and not for being in central pay. And because he says people they went through so much, that's my job to help them. And how has the movie been received internationally? Well, I I was lucky that I had a premiere at the Munich Film Fest because I have a friend who knows the director and it took three months to get to her, two hours of her time and we really uh, rented a cinema in Munich and that she had to come because if you see the film the first 10 minutes it doesn't work you have to sit there till the end and then it gets to you it's, it's really built up with layers so the problem is if you send it to festivals it's not really uh, they don't take the time and it's not an it's not an infotainment film like most documentaries are today and have to be yes. because if you don't bring enough people like they told me on television it, it's they had 52 documentaries um, slots now and uh, five years ago now they have 12 slots a year and half of them they have to take from France because Arte is partly France and Germany and the six remaining they must bring a lot of people so it's not anymore you can't show deep films it has to be infotainment and some action and some people said oh no drama nobody's dying and they want it's, it's, and I refuse to do that that's why at the end I had to produce the film myself but nevertheless I made it possible that the film played in 55 cinemas in Germany and 22 in Holland and in Holland and managed to bring it into television and uh, it was worldwide on some festivals but not the, not the, not the glamour festivals because the glamour festivals the one who's deciding to choose a film he has to think if that film will satisfy the sponsors the red will fit to the red carpet basically to the glamour and um, so he, if he sits in there and thinks about it during watching the film, he's not in his heart, he's in his head. And the non-glamorous films don't have any reputation to lose and they just uh, like can choose whatever they want and uh, even they have financially uh, have a budget uh, problem. But the non-glamorous films, they took it because they just watch it from. If you watch the film from your heart, it, it, you will it, it will touch you because they, they, these two characters they they they're so in their heart, you know. So that that's why the big festivals. And I've been on big festivals with uh, my short film before and another film. So you can see um, how it works. You know, it's a lot behind the scene. You need to know, who, uh, and it has always to be. Um, it's, it's also political hmm. and even the Jews the Jewish film festival I don't offer the victim role as they are used to and um, it's a film like the Israeli film festival told me yeah we need heroes we are in war we can't have anybody who's at the end saying yeah this is it this was my job now I'm I don't I basically she says he's giving up and so but I said hey he's honest he said that what I was doing in my life and now I don't have to because what, what, what else should I do to run after money to make more houses to make uh, become a fam famous in chess or what what he doesn't want to run after all that um, so and but 
especially in Israel, basically they're constantly running away from what's really going on. And the way you run away is to make more money, to 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 distract yourself, to and that's that's what. And this film doesn't offer that, you know. So uh, I'm really satisfied wherever I've been, and I'm, I'm but. It's not like um, people are, the whole big festivals are running after that, or uh, they, they cannot, they cannot allow themselves to show that because um, the festival is really ruled by, uh, an, I would say, an energy or, an, yeah, it has to be glamorous nowadays, everything, you know, even the Jewish film festival, there used to be uh, older people and directors. And they said, hey, I would have taken the film, but now the new ones, they take films from the Coen brothers. And the Coen brothers, they don't need Jewish film festival. They are Hollywood. They are big names. Mm -hmm. They can get every, but the, the festival director takes Coen brothers to have, have glamour on his festival, Hollywood glamour, instead of bringing independent Jewish films with tells personal stories. And that's what, what the Jewish film festival are made for. But even... Yeah, they didn't bring it. Um, they did. Most of them didn't accept the film. Yeah, I don't see an ounce of gratuitousness in your film. You don't have the hooks. And uh, funnily enough, I think sometimes we're programmed to look for those hooks to add value to a movie. And um, having watched this one from start to finish, it is an unpeeling of layers. It, it takes time. It takes stillness. It takes just a moment to sit in and watch how life really is and how it could be beyond the drama and the gratuity or gratuitousness of um, what what we think is going to be emotional and triggering and healing but this takes it to a, to a different level and says it doesn't need to be like that it doesn't need to be dramatic and gratuitous the healing can be done incredibly gently and with humor and with grace Look, I mean, if you make a film, you put all your heart into it and all your money, and uh, which I didn't basically get back. But it was something I had to do. I really had to do. I feel like I was born for it, and I live every second in this film. Of course, you have an investment that people get it, but I had to learn, and I'm still learning that it's. I have to do it. It's out there, and if people like it, it's fine. If you know, someone told me. She said, um, this is not a film that you like or not like. It's a film with so much truth. Either you're ready for it or not. You know, I want it to be honest. I don't want it to make a show. I don't want it to make it dramatic. And it's funny, the guy was actually in charge of buying documentaries for the Dutch channel where it was broadcast. Didn't take it for the reasons, oh, yeah, no dramaturgic, no things. You know, they, they all say the same words. Like they have the same, uh, read the same book and the same catalog how a movie has to be to be on television so but then i went to someone in the same station channel who is much more experienced and uh, deeper and he he made him not him he made sure that the film was broadcast uh, so it's also it shows how uh, where we stand today and um how shallow everything became you know even the tv buyers and all that it's it's the whole everything becomes flat and it's on 
um, yeah, as you say, this film is so, so out of the box, you know, so different. But I didn't want to compromise just to make it fit anywhere. Then they don't show it fine. It's out there, and if everybody who likes it can get it. And you know what is for me the most satisfying going to schools? This the students, they get more than any adults. Not every student, but the, the, I mean, talking about 16, 17, 15. It's amazing how they see, because there are many levels in the film. It's not only about war, it's what, what for example, is what do I do for other people? Um, what is priority in life, money or uh, service? Um, it's a film about a real connection to God and not just, as Chaim calls it, people are just born into it and he calls it group religion, you know, so because they're not really connected to God. There are many levels in that film and you can only get them if you really open up and, and some people need to watch it three times. But I was in school and I was amazed. Mm -hmm. six, some six, Most of them, they got all the layers right away. Just shows, doesn't it? We cover up those layers. They're already so obvious when, when you're younger and just as we get influenced by society and culture, we cover up the, the deep layers of humanity that just can combine and connect us all. And of course, the majority resist that film. If you give them the mirror, what are you doing for other people? Mm, <laughs> because people don't do anything for other people. They just care for themselves. You know, that's, that's the nice thing about him. He, he, he's, he, he knows how to give, you know. He says himself, people are good in taking, but it's, it's about giving, you know, and then... But that's, therefore, you need to see the bigger picture to see, okay, what is really... What are we... Why are we here on Earth? And that was, that was Chaim always... He, 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 had a, he had the bigger picture. You know? His spirituality, he, was, he would um, see what's actually the meaning of life. And yes, indeed big way to end isn't it what is the meaning of life this is one of those films that stayed with me for years i watched it two years ago um i i tried very hard to to get it um of interest to people in australia to companies in australia to television stations i think probably the way to go is to say is there anyone out there who has a school who would be interested in in introducing it to their um students I, what I love about the the shame is is what I watched when I watched this film two years ago. There was something deeply calling about it, not in a Hollywood blockbuster kind of way, but in a what are we doing? What's our purpose here? People are so good at taking; they're not so good at giving. Um, when there isn't anything in it for them. And I have been humbled to learn that in my own life again and again and again when I think there's no part of me that's getting anything from something, suddenly go, well, actually, what are you getting from this? And, and actually just peeling back those layers and say, okay, what is needed and um, where, you know, what is not actually. Um, so worth looking. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Heim's love and dedication to healing his mother's pain or being part of a potential that could give his mother the space to see that um, you can laugh again, 
that's just immeasurable. And if we are talking about epigenetics, if we are talking that it stays in the cells of our bodies lifetimes after lifetimes or intergenerationally, then we, we need to look at this thing. We need to look at it just in case. This is not someone who uses trauma experienced by previous generations as a wound. We can see it in our own country, can't we, really? And in our own experiences of those around us. And it's something we would do well to acknowledge. Now, don't expect this movie to go at a pace. It's about people and about love. And you can't hurry love. It's like someone's written a song about that one. The quote at the end of Elkin's movie is rather beautiful too. The war is not over when the last bullet is fired. The war is over when we return to our hearts. By Serge Benhaim. Now we're coming to the end of the show. Next week's show is going to be, it's going to throw us into the mysterious or not so mysterious world of social media. It is in fact a very practical show, which will show us the tools of how we can go out into the world and share what we do. My guest is Anna McCormack from Beacon Social Media, and I suspect you all view marketing in a whole new way after listening to that show. Feel free to listen in live or to the podcast when you have a moment to sit, reflect and enjoy. So to close, what I say each week resonates once more again today. Remember, regardless of what has or is happening to you in your life, you are and you always will be you and you will be amazing. You are amazing. The key is to reconnect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body is trying to tell you something is not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate support service, be that mental or physical health, to build tools and to address what you do not yet feel equipped to deal with. Look for support in the community because it is there. And remember, don't wait for life to come to you. Take yourself to, to life and be the change you want to see. The podcast for today's show will be available through the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website on SoundCloud, Stitcher and yes, on iTunes podcasts. So if you enjoy what you hear, please leave a review as it makes a massive difference to other people finding the audios. If you want to get updates, then just like the at Stay in the Loop with Lucy Facebook page. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you, connect with the amazing people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be love, be all of you. You've been listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy.